If I were to start Growth Ninja from day one, this kid fresh out of college, let's say I got that degree in marketing, good luck getting clients with no case studies, no testimonials, no results, no nobody to vouch for me. Like, oh my God, that would have been painful. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. The theme of today's show is navigating the social pressure that so many of us feel from friends, family, and colleagues. And today's interview about that topic is with a 23-year-old upstart entrepreneur. My name is Vincent Nguyen, and I'm the proud founder of Growth Ninja. We are a performance-based Facebook ads company, and what that means is we don't take retainer fees, fixed rates. We just do strictly performance So Ian, you and Vincent covered a lot of ground in this interview about sort of that moment of getting started. So as we go through this interview, me and you are going to sort of barge back into the conversation here and there to sort of add our old man thoughts, I'd say. (laughs) Old man thoughts, yeah. I think this conversation would be relevant for those at any stage in entrepreneurship because this pressure, it's not like it just goes away when you start your first business, right? This is something that you have to manage throughout your career. So Dan, just to give you a little bit of background in Vincent's story, when he graduated high school, he moved out to Arizona to be with another part of his family. Okay. And the idea was eventually he would go to college there, mostly for the parties, he said. That was the implicit promise of college is what I'm hearing from you. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, ASU. Everybody heard about ASU when we were in college, right? <laughs> the other thing about Vincent is he's from a Vietnamese background. And I think that that's just worth mentioning because it will give context for the later part of this interview when we start to talk about family pressures. So let's dive right in. After just three semesters at a community college taking courses to get ready to apply to ASU, Vincent started to get cold feet. People would be asking me, what am I going to major in? I just kind of said, uh, business, I guess, marketing, philosophy. Like my answer would change every other day because I wasn't sure. I knew that I wasn't enjoying classes. I was enjoying meeting people. But as far as the academics went, I was kind of like, this sucks. And so what I did was I just kind of got a bunch of internships to see if they could help guide me. I remember spending a lot of time at the career center or whatever it was called, taking those career tests. Like, oh, hey, what's your personality? Do you like doing this and that? And I'm just like, I hate every single one of these results. I did not want to be a public relations manager. It's not like I brushed off all those options either. Like I actually did seek mentors in those fields that I thought that maybe they'd be a good fit for me based off of these quizzes and tests. But... Every single time I was kind of like, yeah, I didn't enjoy any of this stuff. So it was sort of this soul searching process for me that never really yielded any answers, to be honest. It seems like you you figured out pretty quickly what you didn't want to do, but how did you know what you did want to do? In January of 2013, I started a self-improvement website. I didn't want to be a writer. But I did enjoy the process and it started growing very quickly. I started making all these connections in that specific niche 
and I learned some marketing skills, internet marketing skills. And so I was like, all right, so maybe internet marketing is kind of the way to go. And that's sort of why I started getting more marketing related internships. And I realized that I sort of was drawn to that field. And that was the first time I was like, hey, I could actually see myself doing this in the long run, as opposed to just moving on to the next soul search. You're going to the career center, you're seeking out mentors in some of these positions. On your own, it seems like you're doing this personal development blog, you're seeking opportunities on the internet. Did you have any peers or were all your peers virtual? Did you feel like there's this community out there, there's this internet out there, I'm a part of this, I'm not part of this traditional kind of trajectory? No, all of my buddies from school, they knew what I was up to, but they didn't know the specifics of it. They just knew, oh yeah, Vincent writes his blog. (laughs) And that was about it. And so generally... It was a lot of me trying to figure it out on myself. I didn't really have people I could bounce ideas off of. One of my internships was at a co-working space, and so I had a bit more back and forth there. But all of them were doing their own different things that didn't really align with what I was trying to do. Who were some of your, let's call them like virtual internet mentors? Like who were some of the people online that you thought like, I can do what they're doing, or I can do what they're doing better, or I want to be like that person? Yeah, so Mark and Angel Chernoff from MarkandAngel.com, they're probably one of the bigger self-development websites. And so I really looked up to them. Funny enough, one of my teachers in high school brought them up at some point saying that that's her favorite website. So when I ran into them again online, I was like, hey, these guys sound familiar. And so eventually I became friends with them. I wrote a guest post or two for them. And what I like about them is just they're so genuine and raw. And I feel like people got a lot of value out of what they had to say. Meanwhile, I was like a 18, 19 year old kid with practically no life experience. And so I was kind of like trying to give my take on it. And looking back, I kind of like wonder if that was the best idea to put my thoughts to the world like that. But back then I was super interested in that kind of thing. And so I was like, I want to be a lot like these guys here and make a difference if I can. Now I'm 23 and I've, it's not like I'm that much wiser than I was four or five years ago. I've certainly lived a much different life. But I wouldn't be comfortable right now giving advice because whenever I do things, I'm like, man, I don't know anything really in the grand scheme of things. Because the more I learn about something, the more I realize, oh, wow, there's so much more to this than I thought. And so who am I to like dive into the advice and say, here's how it should be, when really I'm still trying to learn and figure things out as I go, both personally, professionally, and so on. But don't you think it's possible that maybe at 18, like that was your coping mechanism for being 18? Like that was part of the way that you developed into what you are today yeah definitely i learned from those articles just as much as the viewers or visitors that i hope learn from them as well and so you could go back in the archives and see some seemingly contradicting thoughts because that was my own growth me reading my own articles prior to publishing and then revisiting them a couple months later i was like oh okay yeah i used to think that way And I always try to have a sort of mini disclaimer that said, look, like, I'm not saying this is absolute truth. This is just what worked for me at the time. And hell, it might not work for me two months from now, but this is how I got through this particular thing. So here it is. I was very conscious of that. And so at what point did you decide to kind of abandon that project? Because I think at some point you stopped writing there. It took me a while to abandon it, actually. So when I abandoned it, I think I was still running my current company. And then at some point, I abandoned it because I realized that I was no longer enjoying the process. And I started the website because I realized a lot of personal development websites always rehash the same perspectives, those same feel-good stuff. They try to stay positive even when things were bad. 
And I was like, okay, well, how about this? Let me just give my actual genuine thoughts and not rehash the same feel-good stuff and just go from there. And so when I realized that I sort of ran out of topics that I've already covered, I didn't want to start repeating it and going through that. And so I realized, all right, if I don't enjoy the process and I sort of already said my piece on a lot of things that I wanted to talk about, let's just stop writing instead of pressuring myself to publish every single Monday. You seem rare, Vincent, in that you've had, it seems like, multiple mentors now that you're 23. Can you walk me through maybe two or three of the most influential the last couple of years for you? I want to go back a little bit further than a couple of years, if you don't mind. One of my best friends in high school was actually the one that got me into entrepreneurship by accident, actually. I remember this day where one of my buddies commented that he wasn't a believer in college. And so I kind of explored that. I was like, wait, what? Like, what does that even mean, not a believer in college? Isn't that kind of what we all need to do? And he'd be name dropping these entrepreneurs. And so I would go home and research these entrepreneurs myself. And I was like, whoa, these guys are super smart. You know, Tim Ferriss, for example, and Ramit Sethi. And so he ended up actually going to college, funny enough, and not going into entrepreneurship. And then I went the other route where I just kind of left the whole I have to go to college idea behind. And then I started my own business, of course. So he was, even though he doesn't really know it or see himself as a mentor, like it was very influential back then. Another mentor of mine was someone that I met at an event that you guys ran, DCBKK, back in 2014. And so we didn't know each other too well back then, but we are both in Arizona, so I see him about once a month. And when I first started my company, it was me, him, and another. And they kind of guided me through my early stages because this was my first business. And my thought process back then was, oh, yeah, I'll just do this Facebook ads thing and get some cash so I could start my quote-unquote real business. For some reason, I had that thought in my mind, like this was going to be something just kind of uh, lead to the next thing. And they said, whoa, hold on, slow down. Slow down, you're on to something good here. Like this itself could be your business that you scale up. And so it was always like those small mini corrections that they gave me where they were like, look, that's your perspective right now, but here's another perspective from a couple of dudes who are much older and have some experience under our belt. Like consider this. And so I didn't always take their advice. And when I did, it would be like way later, but they always guided me and made sure that I didn't just like move to New Zealand and herd sheep or something and be a bartender in Costa Rica. <laughs> Both examples of things that I mentioned wanting to do at some point. <laughs> a few days ago, I was at a search engine optimization conference. And when the speaker from stage said how many people in the room use hrefs.com to rank their sites number one in Google? The entire audience of hundreds of SEOs raised their hands. Yes, hrefs.com is a tool that is synonymous with ranking your site number one in Google. It allows you to uncover what people in your niche are searching for and how difficult it might be to rank for the all-important number one spot in those searches. Better yet, it helps you to uncover little-known niches of profitable terms that will drive customers to your business. So go to hrefs.com, that's A-H-R-E-F-S.com for a free 14-day trial. And during that free trial, you'll get access to all of their tools and data for two weeks at no charge. That's invaluable. And hrefs is also offering one lucky TMBA listener the chance to win an annual subscription valued at over $2,000. To enter that draw, just share this episode on Facebook and let us know about it. 
Thanks again to hrefs.com for sponsoring the show. So Ian, before the break, Vincent mentioned a few things that I think are worth highlighting here for a few moments. The first is that it's easy to figure out what you don't want to do, but how do you figure out what you do want to do? Do you think this is true? Yeah, for sure. In the beginning, absolutely. Like when we first quit our jobs, back up against the wall, you know, still had some debt. It was really easy to look around and say like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And I'd say not easy at all to say we do want to do this, except for we want to get ourselves out of this situation. The thing is, is we're all entitled to what we do and don't want to do, but we're not entitled to making a living. It's trickier sometimes to find what that ultimate thing is that we do want to end up doing. And I would also go to venture that there's another element to it that you actually can't predict. Because when you find something that you're good at and that other people appreciate as well, there's a magic there that you can't predict yourself on your own. It's not like identifying a hobby, you know, like, oh, I really like going fishing or riding my bike. It's like there's this magic to running an organization that delivers effective ad copy or ads to people that they look at you and like, man, that person is great at running these campaigns. That can be a deeply satisfying way to make a living. And it's not something you might predict in advance had you not found that you were good at it. I think it's often the case as well, Dan, that we find ourselves in these organizations and there's still plenty of things that we don't want to do. And we end up delegating those to team members or figuring out a way to get them done otherwise. I mean, I still struggle with what I do and don't want to do even within my organization. So I think we've identified like this is a mission statement that's important to us, but do we want to do everything associated with it? Not necessarily. It's an interesting conversation. There's so much to be said here. (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Let's talk about the mentors thing then. The role that Vincent's mentors played when they went to him and said, whoa, man, hang on and slow down. You might be onto something right here with the Facebook ads. What did you take away from that? What's the wisdom that they saw that maybe at the moment Vincent wasn't seeing, in your opinion? I think it's easy still to have uh, shiny object syndrome. To say like, well, yeah, I can make money doing that, but wouldn't it be really cool if I was doing this? Like all of my passions would align if I was doing this. And I think what sometimes happens is, especially when you're just starting out, it's hard to get wins in the beginning, right? And so if you can kind of go after what you know, and in Vincent's case, it's going after these Facebook ads. He was already doing it for a company. Why not do it for that company and then other companies? And even if it's something that you don't want to do necessarily long-term, it's a way to sustain yourself. It's a way to make income. It's a way to achieve some of your dreams. And so I think it's real easy just to say like, nah, like all my interests aren't aligned 100%. This isn't exactly what I want to do. I'm not going to do it. But in Vincent's case, I think enough was aligned. He had a skill set. He had an interest. He had clients that it makes sense to at least jump off doing something that you might not be 100% passionate about. I think in Vincent's case, he was passionate about it. But a lot of people would put that opportunity aside because it doesn't meet all of their criteria. But what I think is most important is just getting started. I need to go on a little departure here to talk about one of the most charismatic people I've ever met. Okay. His name is Good Idea Glenn. Oh, yeah. I think I've met this guy before. Good Idea Glenn is compelling to you at every step of your entrepreneurial journey. 
You know, whether you're hoping to get started, you're in a job, or you have a business that's a little bit boring that week or a little bit difficult, it's easy to think that, hey, to get started on my next thing, I just need this light bulb to go off and this brilliant idea. It's sort of this perennially sexy idea, but the reality is, is that can be found in your everyday process. Like your job repositioned is a remote work agreement or a freelance gig or a company. Your service repositioned is worth four times as much, or it could be a product in the form of software. You know, entrepreneurship is a conversation. It's a process. And it's tempting always to think of it like a lottery ticket. Like, oh, I just, if I just think of this idea and then do it. And I always encourage people to take a look at what they're already doing that's valuable to others. That's where the good ideas are going to come from. Like focus there and evolve it towards, you know, get rid of the things that you don't like about it and evolve it towards the things that you do enjoy. And there's likely to be more good ideas there than in any conversation with Good Idea Glenn. Yeah, what some people don't realize is that most of the ideas that we start with aren't the ideas that our business ends up ending with or that the business turns into. So quite often the case that you start with an idea like serving clients that want to do Facebook ads and you end up serving them in an entirely different way once you learn about their needs as an organization. So I think your point is well taken, Dan, which is, hey, just get started doing what you're decent at or what you're good at. And a lot of times that will evolve. Dan, let's get back into the interview with Vincent. We're going to be talking about a company that we've mentioned on this podcast many times before. They are the Empire Flippers. They are a premier place on the internet to buy and sell websites. And it is run by our buddies, Joe and Justin. And Joe and Justin are the ones that gave Vincent his first opportunity, I'd say. He was an apprentice for the Empire Flippers. Yeah, Ian. And I remember I was actually on the ground when Vincent moved out to Asia a few years back to join the Empire Flippers team. Tell me a little bit about the things that you learned when you worked with those guys. So pretty much I learned how to, well, first of all, do Facebook ads, of course. That was one of my responsibilities there. I learned a lot about management and how to delegate and work with other people. Because prior to Empire Flippers, I was, of course, doing my own thing by myself. Now I had to figure out, okay, how do I coordinate with other people who are working on the same goal? How do I not be so direct as I can often be? How do I actually get my point across and not shut down ideas I disagree with? And so, of course, all of that management practice fortunately came together when I started hiring my own people and I didn't want to make the same mistakes that I did when I was with them and be direct and blunt and shut ideas down. Because if I did that, then, well, people just wouldn't really like working for me. And I just learned a lot about what makes a profitable business profitable. While before, you know, for example, with my self-improvement website, it doesn't make any money. I never really intended it to. And so I never practiced how do I make something actually profitable instead of just quote-unquote valuable for the world. I mean, it's great to have value, but you've also got to pay rent and eat. That's really a great point, Vincent, and one that's worth highlighting, which is how do I practice making money? A lot of people practice not making money, but it is a true skill and it is a true art to practice making money, to practice profitability, to practice looking at balance sheets and P&Ls. And these are all things that will eventually lead to a sustainable business. I want to get back to one thing that you started to talk about. Maybe not everybody liked you when you were Mm -hmm. working over at Empire Flippers. Tell me a little bit about maybe a conflict that you had there? Because it seems like maybe your approach didn't align with the team's approach. 
Yeah, it wasn't a matter of like, oh, I hate Vincent, but it was more like, oh, okay, that could have been handled or communicated a little bit better. I'll give an example. So back then, when we were going through this major redesign, we had to work with a designer and a team of developers. And so I remember Justin making this comment to me like, Vince, like you're super anal. But that's great in this particular case because we actually do need someone who's super anal and is on everybody to make sure they're doing their job. And when he said that, I was kind of like, huh, that's kind of weird. Am I super anal? And then I kind of reflected back and it was always like Justin and Joe slightly not being like, hey, Vince, like, relax, dude. You're kind of being a little direct right now. It was always like, well, yeah, you could kind of calm down a little bit. But I didn't realize at the time that I could very much be direct and straight to the point without, you know, being uh, what's the word for it? Diplomatic. So Joe and Justin are the owners of the Empire Flippers. Maybe it was just a matter of diplomacy, not being so diplomatic. You had a strong vision. You had an idea of the way that you wanted to see things work out. But then this was the first time that you were in an environment where it actually took more than just you to make that happen. Right. Yeah, I could be a little vocal and I could be very like, hey, let's just do like this. Trust me. But they were very careful about like, all right, Vince, I'm seeing what you're saying, but like, let's slow down a little bit and hear the other perspective. And if you're still feeling strongly, like, let's communicate another way as to not hurt feelings or like, you know, make people feel upset that you're not taking their opinions seriously. Through this process, it seems like, you know, you learned a little bit about yourself again, getting back to like the personal development blog. You seem to always be like learning about yourself through these processes. And so besides maybe uh, trying to come off a little bit less harsh, what are some of the other things that you learned about yourself working with the Empire Flippers? I learned that there's a lot of things I don't know about pretty much everything because I could get in my own head where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to crush everything. Like I don't need to learn from anybody, even though there's a lot of examples in my life where I live the opposite, where I'm just like, yeah, teach me everything. I could get into these moods of like, oh, I'm just going to crush it. Like, I don't even need anything. And they proved me wrong every single day because every day they would say something that I'd be like, oh, my God, that is just brilliant. You know, a lot of what they have to say, I still remember to this day, like, for example, just how to how to really focus on the people who don't add stress in your life, whether those are clients or friends and family, just kind of cut out the toxic and focus on what brings you up instead of dragging you down. That's a very strong aura that they have about them where they're focusing on the happiness instead of letting bad things drag them down. When you say, you know, you said, oh, I'll just crush this on my own or I'll just like take care of this. I don't need any outside input. You know, that's kind of like a piss and vinegar, right? It's just like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to slay the dragon. I don't need anybody's help. (laughs) Where do you think that confidence comes from in you? I don't think back then that was confidence. I think that was more of a mix of arrogance and a kid trying to prove himself. Like I think I was afraid, even though it never was the case, that I had to prove myself that I knew what I was doing in some parts, even if I was younger than everyone else. And they never made me feel like I was my age. They always made it clear that, yeah, we take your thoughts very seriously. So it was my own sort of uh, insecurity and defense mechanism. So I'm trying to like huff and puff, even when I didn't really need to. Maybe I could have calmed down a little bit and just be like, hey, guys, like, here's what I think. What are your guys' thoughts? Instead of just going in there with some false bravado and going, oh, yeah, look at me. I'm, I'm 19 and oh, I know stuff. <laughs> so you wrap up your internship or you wrap up your work with uh, Empire Flippers. But along the way, some of the work that you're doing with them is Facebook ads. And so I take it that's where the genesis for Growth Ninja comes from. 
Yeah, it didn't even cross my mind until I was at dinner with some entrepreneurial friends, and one of them suggested Facebook ads when I was trying to figure out, okay, guys, I want to start my own thing, but what do I do? And one of them leans over and says, "Hey, you're doing Facebook ads. Why not do Facebook ads?" And so I was like, "Okay, that sounds good." <laughs> and I just kind of went with it, and I realized that there was a lot to Facebook ads that I didn't yet know back then, and so I've just constantly been learning and learning, and learning. And、uh, just sort of reiterating, which sort of have to, because Facebook ads change all the time anyway. But it was a skill set that I felt could challenge me and add value to other businesses. Dan, I want to pop in here real quick and mention a couple things. Vincent mentioned, and we talked about how to delegate work to other people and learn how to work with a team. This is an issue, I think, for a lot of people that are solopreneurs, a lot of people that are location independent, running their business on their own. And I think it's worth noting too that it's also a problem for young people. Like I remember this as a young person coming in, and just kind of like a bull in a china shop. You know, you come into an organization, it's real easy to see what's wrong with everybody and what everybody's not doing correctly, <laughs> especially when you're young and you're just full of energy. Yeah, and I think Vincent shares that too. So, what is your read? Because you were actually my boss at the company, and I came in, and I feel like I had a little bit of this attitude too when I was younger. You caused some shakeups, that's for sure. <laughs> How useful it is to go talk about all the the Ian causing shakeup story. But I think the reason I caused shakeups was because it was so important to me, and like I looked around and I felt like there wasn't this sense of urgency. I felt like it wasn't as important to everybody else. You know, as you get like a little bit more mature and you get a little bit more developed in your business career, you know, you come into these organizations and you kind of take it slow, and you realize, hey, I want to respect everybody around here. Everybody else is doing good work. I'm assuming everybody's just not working at this breakneck pace that I did when I was 18 years old. So I think there, there's some of that going on, which is like when you're older, when you're more mature, you work at a more reasonable pace. And I think that that was some of my frustration coming in is like people aren't working fast enough. We're not accomplishing enough quick enough. So that can often happen because when you first come into a company, you might have the desire to move things along faster and get more things done, but not the understanding of the mechanisms that get those things done. So I had this experience when I was very young. I was petitioning to be able to do more, and I wanted—I had that sense of care and urgency, but I didn't understand how the organization that I was in actually worked. So I just thought if I like sort of chucked all of my waking energy at the problem, that I would solve it. And so I was begging for that opportunity and petitioning for it and everything. What I didn't realize is that that wasn't the case. I couldn't see that at the time, and I didn't actually understand the mechanisms. That would be effective. So there's nothing simple about working with people. One of the things that I think Vincent's doing well, and that young people can take some inspiration in, is that when you're starting your own thing, that's your chance to build a company around your values and the way that you want to work. And sure, take advice, like take feedback, but don't necessarily think that just because someone runs a quote real company or that they've done it a few times that they necessarily know what's best for those first few hires in your company. Particularly if you're not just trying to like push things off your desk, that's always going to be a mistake, right? I just don't care about this stuff. I just want somebody to do it. Well, that sort of mistake is always going to come back to bite you in the butt. But if you're like, look, I, I'm passionate about the work I'm doing. And I want to bring people on, but you know what? I want to bring people on in this kind of new, fresh way, or I want them to work in this different kind of way. I would encourage listeners to take up that experiment because there can be magic there. 
You know, if you've got a great product, you don't have to be that grown up company doing things the right way through an HR department or whatever at the beginning. Yeah. And that is the advantage, Dan, like you said, of starting your own company is that you get to define a lot of these things for yourself and the people around you. So Ian, there was one more thing we wanted to highlight here was this practice of actually making money or manifesting money, which I think is important for the transition that Vincent was making. There's probably not a listener who has made money through an entrepreneurial venture that can't remember that first money, the first dollar. Do you remember? Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. The world shifts. It's a paradigm changing realization. And if you haven't had that yet, the good news is it's not like that hard to get there. But for some reason, would-be entrepreneurs, I don't think, prioritize this all the time. And the shift that you're talking about basically is uh, paycheck shows up every other Friday, auto-deposited into your account versus I just got paid $500 for something that I did and I didn't have to sit at a desk. Or 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a big breakthrough moment. And it's interesting because it's so powerful that if you haven't experienced it, you go do it even if it's buying and selling something off of Craigslist and taking the margin into your bank account. That feeling of making the deal can change your life. But that experience and know-how can become so dominating for certain entrepreneurs that it, it ends up dominating the rest of their career. In other words, they become these perpetual deal makers and it's always sort of going out and hunting it down instead of building systems, marketing channels, a team that can end up doing all that stuff for you. So long story short, Dan, Vincent ended up leaving the Empire Flippers, but that in itself turned out to be an opportunity. So I take it if I was in your position, Empire Flippers, who you're working for, who you're doing Facebook ads for, they probably would have been my first client. Is that what you did too? Is you turned around and said, okay, guys, I'm done, but I'll provide this service to you? Yep. That's exactly how it went down. So they came on as client numero uno, and I just started reaching out to people I already knew. I reached out to the person who suggested Facebook ads to me because his words were, wait, why don't you just do Facebook ads? Like, I need Facebook ads help. So I reached out to him and so my former bosses, the one that gave me an idea for Facebook ads and a couple others came on board as my first clients. I don't want to make this sound easier or anything like that, but the first six months, give me an idea of how much revenue you guys were doing. So the company started January 2nd of 2015. We sent out our first invoice on March 1st. May 1st, we sent out invoices for a five-figure amount. So pretty quickly, you figured out how to replace your income that you're making from the Empire Flippers. Right. But I do want to say that it wasn't easy because building a business is easy. I was just fortunate to have been plugged into this environment where I made a lot of friends who knew me during my time with Empire Flippers. And so I knew that there are a lot of people I could reach out to first and see if they were interested in such service and then go from there. Like if I were to start growth ninja from day one, this kid fresh out of college, let's say I got that degree in marketing, good luck getting clients with no case studies, no testimonials, no results, nobody to vouch for me. Like, oh my God, that would have been painful. It's still kind of difficult to this day, closing completely cold traffic where I can't be like, oh, you know, uh, Steve, go ask Steve. Like if I can't do that, of course the closing rate's way lower. So imagine doing that from day one until you eventually start having a name for yourself, that's super tough. 
it's mid 2015. You started to make a little bit of money. What are you starting to tell your friends and family at this point? So my mom's side of the family didn't know I even ran my own business until I think my second year in. And then they only found out that I quit college 11 months ago, last December. (laughs) What did they think you'd been doing? Taking online classes. Because that's what you told them you were doing? Yeah. Like, they'd be like, wait, why are you in Asia? Aren't you supposed to be in school? I'm like, yeah, I'm taking online classes. It works well with time zone differences. I I just made it up as I went along. Wow. I mean, that's for some people, that kind of, I'll call it a lie, is insignificant. And to other people, it's significant to tell your family that you're spending most of your waking hours doing something that you're not. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't lose any sleep over it because I knew that if I told them what I was doing, I would get phone calls every day saying, please go back to school. You're ruining your life. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to avoid all that stress and build my own business. And once it's time to tell them, I'll tell them. And so I've always like, every time I called them or visited, it would always be about school. And of course, that conversation would just go nowhere. It'd be like, how's school going? Good. Getting good grades? Yep. Conversation's over. Like if I even talk about not going to school, I would have been crucified because they wouldn't have seen the results yet. So they would have been like, what are you doing? You're going to be homeless. You're going to be, people are going to think you're stupid, which they still believe that even if you're a billionaire without a degree, you're still more ignorant than the person with a degree. It's this whole thing. Your family sees somebody that never went to college with a large business as not being successful? Yeah, in some weird roundabout way, they're better now. But my grandpa specifically would literally say those words. Now that my mom and my grandma have been let in a little bit, like I've broken everything down as much as I can for them, they're a lot more supportive and they took it pretty well. This story might make me look kind of bad, actually, but I'll tell it anyway because it's what happened. So two months before I told my grandma, she was bugging me about finances. Like, hey, are you still doing okay? Are you sure your business is doing fine? Like, you're not homeless. And so I decided to show her how much money I had saved up. So I just opened my check account. I'm like, here you go. So she drops the conversation about finances. And then two months later, when I visit again in December, so this is 2016, I'm about to go to Europe. So she's concerned, oh my God, you're going to go to Europe? Like, how are you going to afford that? What I do now is I show her the account again. I say, Grandma, do you remember how much was in last time? She says this number. And then I say, no, actually, I think it was this. Like, I made up a number. And she corrected me with the actual number that I showed her last time, which shows me that she knew, she remembered. She was testing me or something. So I was like, nope, you just fell for my trick here. So you do remember, and I know you remembered. So I showed her the new balance that, increase in the last two months. And so she was like, oh, okay, cool. So you're okay for Europe. And then the conversation goes to, okay, so how are your high school friends doing? Are they in nice jobs now making a ton of money? Are you jealous of them? I'm like, um, yeah, everybody graduated in June or whatever. She's like, oh, cool. So what's so-and-so doing? I'm like, yeah, he just graduated from Berkeley. Uh, he works at a coffee shop making minimum wage. She's like, what? Basically, to keep the story short, Everybody graduated college. Everyone's working minimum wage or maybe a dollar more. Waiters, baristas. Uh, Not that's bad, but that's just sort of the reality. So she's like, what? How? They have a degree. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, just because you have a degree doesn't mean you're going to be super successful. She said, next. So when are you going to finish your degree? So I say, well, honestly, I didn't know how to tell you this, but I actually am not planning on finishing my degree. And then she took it 
really well. <laughs> she took it super well, so well in fact that my grandpa the next day didn't bring it up, which means she must have told him, and he's like, "Oh, sweet, is he doing okay? All right, I guess we'll stop bothering him about school." So never heard about school again. Do you think it's possible? I've heard these stories before, not the exact story, but do you think it's possible that? It is just all a test that they don't want you to actually go to school and become an attorney or a doctor or a lawyer. They actually just want to see you be successful. And once you can prove to them that you're successful, that it might not be necessary to go to college. I don't know. I'm, I come from an Asian family, so I'm pretty sure they would have preferred I be a doctor. <laughs> well, what's interesting about that, and I'm thinking that this might be a generational thing and it might be, you know, they work so hard to accomplish what they accomplished, right? And maybe they're undervaluing actually how hard you're working to accomplish what you, you're you accomplishing. But I do wonder, because in these conversations, and, and I've heard them before, there's no mention of happiness, right? There's only right. mentions Success. of results, schools, jobs. And so I do wonder how that factors into this equation, maybe for your grandma. Do you have any insight into that? You're spot on. I mean, happiness doesn't really, you know, I talk to my other Asian friends about this and it's the same thing for them. It's like, yeah, happiness, like the hell does that mean? Like they want to know if I'm making bank. If I could be a son or daughter that they could then go and brag to their friends about. It's a very real thing, by the way. Like my grandparents, both sides of the family love bragging about their family's results. And then they compare and contrast against what their friends are telling them. But it does come from a good place. They are worried. In fact, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to pull up a pretty funny conversation. So some context. This is actually just a month ago. I'm getting ready to fly to Bangkok to uh, go to your guys' conference, DCBKK. And so two hours prior to my flight, my grandpa texts me, what time are you going to fly to Thailand? I say in two hours. He says, okay, good luck to you. Do you make any money? I am worried for you spend a lot. But that's just my grandparents, you know, they're constantly worried, am I able to afford food, which is a very real fear for them for whatever reason, it's very specific. But it does come from, I think, their family history of like, things were hard. You know, they came to America with nothing. You know, they knew nobody really. And the people they did know were struggling just as hard as they were. And if you talk to, you know, Vietnamese immigrant parents from the older generation who sacrificed everything to come to America, a lot of these stories are very scary. You know, it's like you could have been shipwrecked. You could have been kidnapped by pirates where they took all your stuff and maybe killed you. Like they took a huge gamble to be here. So I totally understand, or at least I try to understand that they're looking out for me because their memories remind them that life could be so much harder and so much worse if you're not able to make it for yourself. It seems like a couple times in your interactions with them, you've kind of put them at bay, put them at rest, but then it seems like they always come back. Do you have any insight into what will finally put it to rest for them? Would it be uh, like you showing up in a new Ferrari or? No, they would, they would hate that. They would be like, which means a waste of money of Vietnamese. <laughs> so, and then my grandma would say, you can't take it with you when you die. So last time I was in town, I actually teased her about that saying. She's always like, yeah. Why do people spend money on like nice cars and houses? You can't take it when you die. I'm like, you know what, Grandma? I don't know if that's true. Maybe we got it wrong. Maybe like in the afterlife, you do get to take it all with you. And it's like the sweet afterlife in a yacht. And she did not like that at all. <laughs> she got mad. It's a certain form of love. And I've heard it before, but I'm glad that you brought it up. But it is this Asian love. And there are <laughs> other cultures that, that have it as well. It's a very prominent meme, I think, in America. Asian dad, like, we're Asians, not Bijans. <laughs> when they get a report card with a B plus on there. 
So Vincent, I want to wrap this up and I want to do that by talking a little bit about 2017 for Growth mm-hmm. Ninja and some of the things that you've accomplished. So 2017, you've essentially been in the Growth Ninja game for two years now. Almost three, coming up on three years, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what your feelings are having run this company now for almost three years and where you think it's going in the future. Yeah, so we've just hired two people just two months ago, actually, right one after the other. Literally, the second person started the day after the first. And I have our revenue milestone set to be seven figures within the next two years. Truthfully, I think we could probably do that even sooner, but that's kind of where it's going to go, hopefully. So 2017's revenue has been larger than 2015 and 16 put together by a pretty good amount. And so I'm hoping that that trend continues. And I think it will. I mean, this past month has been crazy with setting up new clients that have a lot of potential and stuff like that. So it's just about now, I think, hiring a business development person. And what do you see your role in this next phase of the business being? Like, who will you be? Like, it seems like at first you were the guy that actually ran the ads. And then what are you going to be now? I still am. So my two employees, none of them do Facebook ads. They're doing different things within the company. And I'm still the guy running Facebook ads because that's the way I like it. And that's what I want to do. And so eventually there might be a bandwidth issue. But I think hitting seven figures per year in our own revenue, we could do that without even hitting that bandwidth issue. So I have a friend. He's a developer. He's a really good developer. You know, the natural progression a lot of times is you're a developer, then you manage development, and then you don't do any more development after that. It sounds like you might have made the choice to stick to being an artist and managing these Facebook campaigns. Why do you think that that's a good opportunity for yourself in the company? Honestly, I don't think I look at it that way. Like, I know, obviously, that if you want to grow to like this giant company, you're going to have to eventually delegate and manage. I'm still trying to figure out what I want personally. Like, I'm pretty happy with where things are right now, but I'm still open to the idea of growth. What I'm not open to the idea yet in the year 2017 and probably not in 2018 is the idea of giving up what I enjoy doing right now. So, so what if we don't become a five million per year company because I'm still doing it? We'll figure that out when we get there. But right now I'm enjoying things and I don't see bandwidth being an issue. So let's do it the way I like it right now and figure that out a little bit later because my clients are happy, I'm happy, and the process is still fun. So let's keep rolling with it, you know? And honestly, like, I do get a lot of flack for not maximizing profits and not, you know, going to the next level. In fact, some of my mentors give me some flack for that. But it's like, yeah, I mean, we just think differently. I know that you want to make a billion dollars a year. I don't. I wouldn't know what to do with that money. I just wouldn't even be the same person, I think, if I had that amount of money. I find myself sometimes having these thoughts, these very egotistical thoughts like, oh, I'm freaking awesome in my 20s doing this and that. Like, can I imagine the ego I would have if I made a billion a year? Like, I wouldn't even want to hang out with myself. (laughs) Protecting yourself from uh, your success. Thank you, Vincent, so much for sharing your story. And I really look forward to tracking you and Growth Ninja in the next couple of years. Thanks, man. And thanks for having me. Ian, one of the things that jumped out to me about your conversation with Vincent was this issue of family, specifically in Vincent's case, family and friends, and you're doing this weird thing, this new thing. What are you going to say to him about it? Yeah. 
I'm getting red in the face over here, Dan. I'm, what? <laughs> this is like, yeah, this is the point that fired me up, I think, the most in this episode. I haven't been in Vincent's situation before, but I have been in situations before when I was younger, and I knew I was doing the right thing, but I had to deceive other people around me to be able to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. Basically, I knew what I was doing with, was right, and I knew that people had good intentions for me, but they didn't really understand my situation. And therefore, they were misguided about the advice that they were giving me. In Vince's case, I think that his grandparents had the best intentions, wanting him to go to school, wanting him to be, quote, successful. But let me just say this. A lot of times, the people that want things for other people like this so badly that they can be disruptive, a lot of times, those people are unfulfilled and they're not happy themselves. And so they are projecting onto people like Vincent their wants and desires, things that they didn't accomplish in their life. And I think Vincent was luckily smart enough to maybe recognize that and say, hey, Grandma, you don't know what's best for me. I'm going to feed you something. I'm going to tell you something, but I'm going to go off and do something else. And in the long term, this is going to turn out great. We're going to have holidays together and you're going to be very happy. I'm going to be successful in my own way. I'm not going to be successful in the way that you maybe wanted to be successful or that you wanted me to be successful. Here's the thing about other people. They have a sense for what's good for you. Okay. And oftentimes that good thing will be something that you share in common. That's why we're talking about relationships here, right? They are in a relationship with you as a friend. They want to, you know, be involved. And so they're going to say something that's good for you, that they understand, you understand, that you might even do together. But here's the reality sometimes about the things that are best for you that's often a secret that's within you. This is where things can go off the rails and get woo woo. And we could use the term destiny, your own best self. But the reality is, is like, what's going to activate you and your potential and your passion? What's going to get you out of bed in the morning to see your vision of the way your life and future can be? That's what's best for you. And that's in you. There might be other people around you that support that, that inspire that or whatever. But at the end of the day, you're getting it done or you're not. And that can be the polarizing element of this. I remember being at a party one time. I remember this as clear as day, and I don't even, I feel uncomfortable describing the details because heaven forbid somebody would know they're there. And I felt this way, but I really did. I was sort of explaining what I was doing. There was this moment that it occurred to me that what I had, what I was going to do, was too precious to share it because it was too fragile. And there was nothing that they were going to do to further it. And so it was only downside for me to share it. And there was this sort of moment when I put that secret back inside of me and I left and I didn't come back for a really long time. And that was one of those galvanizing moments where it's like, this is my secret. This is my potential. I'm going for it. And I'm going to be around people who support this. And I went for it. And sometimes it takes that. I truly believe that, you know, and in the case of Vincent, like, very close to his family. So you don't always get to walk away from that party, you know, and not tell everybody about what you're about to do. Like there's a social responsibility. Like you can't leave the dinner table until you tell us what you're up to. And so I think in a lot of ways that can be a tougher situation. I think the way that Vincent handled it would probably be the way that I would handle it as well. And I'll just say this, it doesn't feel great when you're doing it. It's a crappy position that these people put you in. There's an element of that fortitude and bravery that it takes it's so easy just to do what other people want you to do. That's going to be the case the whole way in your entrepreneurial journey. 
So it's not surprising to get galvanized by these family and friend relationships at the beginning. And then that carries on with key clients, with customers, with key staff members, with business partners. You know, you're going to keep having tough conversations. And to your point, Dan, I think in large, the reason why you didn't share what you're up to and why Vincent didn't share what he was up to is because ultimately he felt like those people were in your way or they didn't have a lot to contribute to what you're trying to achieve. And so it was necessary for you to shield yourself from them in those situations. And I think that that's, again, a very hard position to be in. And by the way, you know, let's not sit here and say that this is all for the good either. Because, you know, when people say, ah, you know, you got to break an egg to make an omelet, that's not necessarily the fair metaphor because the eggshell is the thing that you throw away and you still ate the good part. Well, sometimes you break relationships and they never come back. Sometimes you don't get to come back to the table and tell your great story about how you achieved everything that you wanted to achieve. Sometimes it's because things fell apart or sometimes it's because you fractured relationships too bad. And I think that's just part of the risk. I think also, though, if you're pursuing your passions and your dreams, that sometimes life doesn't always end with a little uh, full house uh, wrap up, you know, (laughs) at the end of the episode, you know, it's not all tied together with a nice little bow. Well, we appreciate Vincent for coming around to the episode, supplying us with a mediocum of a bow. What a story. We're going to be posting all the comments, links, and show notes to this one at tropicalmba.com slash Vincent. That's it, boss man. That's the episode. Great stuff. We'll see you next Thursday morning. All right. See you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 